0: Christ Church. Good morning. Good morning. So thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. So uh, without any further ado, let's just stand together. We're going to worship and give God the glory as we ask for him and his presence here today.
1: Like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the A mighty river flowing from your heart Filling every part of our praise Open up the heavens, we want to see you Open up the floodgates A mighty river flowing from your heart Filling every part of our praise Your power, show us, show us your glory. Lord. Yeah, open up the heavens, we want to see you open up the floodgates. Of my flowing from your heart, feeling every part of my breath. Open up the heaven. We wanna see you open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing. From
2: the light when it was
1: My life can prove that there is only one Whose name will last forever I I don't wanna wanna leave a leg By to him. Is the only name to remember? Oh, Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only name to remember. I, I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if.
0: In just a moment, uh, we're going to enter into a time of uh, communion and taking the Lord's Supper. And so um, what I want to do at this moment, uh, I'm, we're going to sing one more song. This is going to be kind of the, the song of preparation, time of, time of self-examination. So I'll tell you what, I know you've been standing for a minute. Why don't we, why don't we grab a seat so you guys can, can grab a seat for a minute. And what I'm going to do, we're going to start this song off and give you some, some opportunities just to reflect and uh, pray and, and maybe uh, do some self-examination. And then at some point during the song, I'm going to ask you guys to stand up, and we'll, we'll kind of finish together, everybody standing and, and singing in agreement. And then, um, and then we're going to go into our time of, of communion with the Lord's Supper. So um, let me just pray for us now, and then we'll continue to sing together. So would you bow with me? Father we uh humbly gratefully um, just surrender ourselves to you right now, Lord, whatever that is, it could be fear, confusion, shame, maybe it's sin that we we know is there that we've that we've allowed into our life or maybe we're just headstrong in it right now, God maybe it's um Lord, maybe it's just uh indifference. Maybe we've just reached a point where we just don't feel you anymore. We, we're going through the motions. We're, we're apathetic towards the things of God, Lord. Whatever, whatever it is, Lord, that, we, that we're struggling with right now, Lord, you know it. You, you have tremendous patience. You have tremendous mercy towards your people, God. And, and we just pray now in the name of Jesus, we can surrender those things to you so that when we come to the table today, and we remember your great sacrifice and we remember your suffering on our behalf, Lord, that we are be able to walk away free and forgiven and restored to you, God. That's what you want more than anything. You want us to be restored in fellowship with you. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he told us that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father but by him except through Christ. And that's who we Turn to today, and that's who we worship today, Lord, is the one and only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. May you be glorified through it in His name. Amen.
1: battle the every heartbreak the every circumstance i believe that you are my fortress yes you are my portion you are my hiding place Oh, i believe you are the way the truth breath I take I believe that you are provider yes you are protector yes you are the one I love oh, I believe you are the way the truth the light the way the truth the life I believe you are
0: we're going to sing in just a second that all my fears and doubts they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe you are the way what are your fears and doubts today i want you to lay them down i want you to give them up and let's all trust in the lord together would you stand with me as we sing this together here we go
1: it's a new horizon and i'm set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new because they can't stay long when I believe you are the way, the truth, the lie.
0: the father you are the truth when the world around us is telling us all these lies you're that anger the truth that holds us and you are the life you're the one that came to give us eternal life Lord, to have power and victory over death and the grave and lord we put all of our hope and our trust in you it's in Jesus' holy name that we do pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. I'm going to ask our founding pastor, Brother John Latimer, to come up to give us some encouragement.
2: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of salvation, which would not have been possible if Jesus had not shed his blood and his body had not been broken on the cross. Father, we pray that you would keep that in our minds, keep it ever present. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Uh, For everybody that is uh, here today, Father, if there's anybody that's here that does not know you, we pray that they know you before they leave, Lord. Uh, Father God, uh, this country and this world is in a bad shape, but Father, we know that we have salvation through Jesus, and it's all because of your plan of salvation. Open our hearts and our minds to the message that your servant Marcus is bringing, and go with us as we depart from this place. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: (laughs) All right, name that tune. What was it? Bunch of heathens out there. Uh Uh-huh. See, everybody's like, I think I know that tune, but am I supposed to say anything in church? All right, we can cut it now. So, um, interesting that most of pop culture today would recognize that. Now, some of you may not. That's a that's obviously probably the most well-known song written by a rock band from the 1970s, Led Zeppelin, and it's called Stairway to Heaven. I have to confess that I cut my teeth on music like that when I was growing up. And uh, musically, you know, they are... Pretty impressive group, pretty impressive band. However, if you know anything about the band Led Zeppelin, these guys unfortunately were very much mixed up involved in the occult. They had all kinds of messages and, you know, the people that they associated themselves with and the things that they were involved in in those days and in those years. And I don't know where they stand today. Most of them are still alive. Uh, But they were were up to no good. They were were definitely giving themselves over to some very dark, let's just be honest, satanic things. Um, But if you talk about the stairway to heaven, 99% of the people in our world today, that's probably what they're going to associate with is this popular Led Zeppelin song. But this is a very much biblical idea. Uh, There was also a group called Huey Lewis in the News. Anybody familiar with them? They wrote, and they're a great band, I have to confess, I like a lot of their music, but they wrote a song also, does anybody know what it was called? Climbing Jacob's Ladder, right? You may have heard that one, also a very popular song. Again, so so some of these popular cultural artists are are drawing from a biblical idea that we find right here in Genesis chapter 28. And so that's where we're going to kick off today, and the title of my message is, the stairway to heaven and the house of God. The stairway to heaven and the house of God. So, if you remember, we we covered the uh, the conflict between Esau and Jacob. We looked at that a little bit last week, and and that really represents a, a bigger picture, a larger story at play about this this conflict between God's seed and the seed of the serpent, and, and you saw how, how Jesus came to give us back our birthright, which is to inherit the kingdom, to inherit this earth as his people, as his citizens. And so we see that right here in Genesis 28, when the story picks up, is that because of what Jacob and his mother decided to do to deceive Isaac and to steal the blessing from Esau, um, this made Esau just a little bit upset. So much so that he was ready to what? He was ready to kill his brother. And so this is part of the consequence of taking matters into our own hands. I talked a little bit about that last week. But because they decided to take matters into their own hands and they decided to do this, well, it caused a major rift in the family. Esau was out to get Jacob's head and so Rebecca said, Listen, your brother's angry right now. He wants to kill you. There, I can't lose both of you in the same day. So, listen, why don't you just go back to your father's country, back to Haran, which is the uh, ancient area of Aram? And he says, You go back and just stay with them a few months. Let your brother Esau calm down. Let him cool off. You know, let, let some time pass. And then I want you to come back home. Little did Rebecca know that that would be the very last time that she was ever to see her son, Jacob. Because of, again, these were consequences. Rebecca ended up dying before Jacob ever made it back to the promised land. And so we're going to pick the story up here in Genesis chapter 28 as Jacob is basically on the run Leaving his home, leaving the land of promise, and he's, he's uh, you know he 's um, concerned about Esau and what Esau may or may not do to him, and so he 's going to be heading now north up to Aram to the land of Haran, which is where Abraham was from, and where Abraham and uh, his family w- lived, and Laban was up there, which was rebecca 's brother, and so she encourages him to go back, be with your family there, and eventually we know that, that Jacob is going to find his his wife there, and, and begin to build his family there. Okay? So there, if we pick up here in Genesis chapter 28, let's, let's see what really happens in this whole story, and, and let's, let's find out what is this idea about a stairway to heaven and the house of God. So just read with me. We're just going to read through some of this chapter here in verse uh, chapter 28. So it says in verse 1, it says, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padam Aram in the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now it says here in verse 9 that Esau had already taken wives from Canaan, which was which was what he, what he was not supposed to do. And he began to understand how displeasing this was to his parents. And so it just says he went to the people of Ishmael. And I remember Isaac had a half-brother, Ishmael, who went to settle in a, a little bit of a separate part of uh, the Middle East there, which is what's modern-day Arabia. And it says that Esau went to Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, to take another wife from their clan Hoping that maybe he could, you know, get some, earn some points with his parents. Okay, so that's really what that next part um, is about. But let's pick up in verse 10 and let's see what's happening here. So, Jacob, again, he's alone, he's on the run, He's, he's leaving his home, probably for the very first time. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. So he took one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head, and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a, a ladder. Or th- this, is, this Hebrew word here is the only time this word is used in all of Scripture. It can mean ladder. It can probably more accurately represent a staircase. Now, I'll tell you why I believe that to be the case in just a minute. So Jacob's having a dream. He sees this this stairwell, okay? Think about a staircase leading up to heaven. And it's set upon the earth. So So it's resting on the earth and it's leading up into the atmosphere, up into heaven. And it says that, behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And then behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. In other words, the Lord is telling him that your descendants will spread out to the four what? The four corners of the earth. And he says, And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. Comforting words for Jacob. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it, and he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had had under his head. He set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. He says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and he'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come back to my father's house in this peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone of which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, Bethel. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. What we see here, guys, in Genesis chapter 28, to me, this is what's fascinating when we begin to study the first five books of Scripture. It lays the foundation for everything else that you will read in the prophets, in the writings, in the, in the New Testament. There's this picture here in Genesis chapter 28 that is painting a, uh, a future destiny for God's people. And it's going to be this destiny that's going to, to show us how God is going to take this very small family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had eventually had 12 sons, the, the sons of Israel, and how through this one small, seemingly insignificant family of the earth, through divine intervention and through divine inspiration and God's providence and all the things that He did throughout their life and how He worked even to get them down into Egypt, where they would multiply and grow into this great multitude, this great nation, we begin to see this overarching story here in the Scripture about how God's desire in His heart has always been for the whole world. God wants everyone to be what? To be saved. You see... Divine election, if you talk about election in, in, a, in a literal biblical sense, election is that where God chooses really sometimes individuals, but most of the time He's chosen this group, He's chosen this family, and He's chosen the nation of Israel, not so that they, to the exclusion of the rest of the world. He didn't choose Israel so that He could only bless Israel and they were the only ones to inherit salvation and they were the only ones to get to have the covenants of promise. But He chose this group of people and this nation of people called Israel. And He did it not to exclude the rest of the world, but to be a what? A blessing. To bless and reach the four corners of the earth. To bring all people from every tribe, every tongue, every language back into covenant relationship with God. And this is where all of our language, really, and I'll just get ahead of myself a little bit, but when we start talking about the Great Commission, every church that exists today makes an emphasis to say, you know, we have one mission and one mission alone. It's that we are to go and make what? Disciples of all nations. Well, that Great Commission that Jesus gave us has its foundation right here in Genesis chapter 28. We're going to see that today. So I want to just share some things with you today that, that I think God's shown me and, and I hope will be very enlightening and very encouraging to you. So the first thing that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture as we think about the stairway to heaven, we think about the house of God, which is Bethel, literally means house of God, is that what does Isaac and, and the Lord tell Jacob? He's, they, he is told and he's... he's reminded in this passage that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would become a great assembly, a great company of God's people from all the nations of the earth. This is also known as what we call the what? The church. So what we see here is that there was a promise given to Jacob. It was given first to Abraham. It was given to Isaac. Now God's given it to Jacob. Is that your descendants, okay, Jacob... By the way, Jacob had his uh, another encounter with God later down the road. We'll hopefully maybe get to look at that later, but he, he, his name was changed from Jacob to, to Israel. Okay, so when we talk about Jacob, we're talking about the covenant people of Israel. And so so he's saying, Jacob, your descendants, or Israel, okay, they will become more numerous than the dust of the earth, more numerous than the stars of the sky. It's going to be a great company of diverse people from every nation, every language on the face of the earth. This is going to be an assembly, a congregation of people, God's covenant people. And see, that's where we get this whole idea and concept of the church. Now some of you may be surprised that the church is not a New Testament idea. It's not. See, we we talk about the church sometimes in, in terms of it being some separate thing that God is doing now where He was dealing with Israel in the Old Testament. Now He's doing something separate with the church now. But that's not the way the Bible talks about the church. You see, what God said here, and what Jacob told, uh, excuse me, Isaac told Jacob here, if you look back in Genesis 28, he says, listen, he says, the Lord God will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply, that you will become a company of peoples. Now he uses a Hebrew word here called kahal. It means company, assembly, congregation. Sometimes it can be translated as a synagogue. Now, what you need to understand is that right here in Genesis 28 we are already beginning to learn and understand the concept of the church. The church. Let me me explain to you a little bit about how the Bible got to where we are today. The original Hebrew Bible was written in Hebrew. Right? Now, in Jesus' day and and the apostles during the the lifetime of Jesus and the apostles, they were reading primarily a different Bible. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard of the Septuagint? Anybody ever heard that before? The Septuagint. You need to know what the Septuagint is. See, what happened is about 200 years before the life of Christ, a lot of Hebrew scholars got together and they said, listen, everybody in the known world speaks one language. Does anybody know what the language was? Greek. So there were a lot of Jews living in Alexandria. There were some Jews living still in the Promised Land. They said, listen, since everybody's speaking Greek, we need to take our Hebrew Scriptures and we need to translate those Scriptures into the Greek language. And so coming out of that um, ambitious project was this translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It was called the Septuagint. Jesus and the disciples, their primary Bible of their day would have been what? The Septuagint. That was their Bible. And so, remember, they're taking Hebrew and they're translating it into what? Into Greek. Now, when we read our New Testament, it also is coming from the Greek language. So you take the Greek and you translate it into English, and those words hopefully correspond and we we can kind of get an idea of what it is. There's one word used in the Greek primarily... To represent the assembly, the congregation, the collective body of God's people. You may have heard it before. It's called the ekklesia. Anybody ever heard that word? It's a Greek word. It's ekklesia. When you see the word church in your English Bible, it is almost always coming from the Greek word what? Ekklesia. Are y'all staying with me? So you have Hebrew. Now you got Greek, ekklesia, and then our English word is what? Church. So when Jesus and the disciples were reading their Greek copy of the Hebrew Scriptures, guess what word was used in there dozens and dozens and dozens of times to describe the congregation of Israel? It was the ekklesia. In other words, it was the Church. So, so let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, I'll just give you a few. In uh, Numbers 14, 5, it says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, Numbers 14, 5. When you're reading that in the Greek Septuagint, what that would say is, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the church, the ecclesia. Deuteronomy 31.30, Moses spoke in the ears of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. In other words, Moses spoke to the church. See, the church is not a New Testament idea. It has its foundation and its roots. In other words, it just simply means the collective body, the assembly, the corporate gathering of God's covenant people which started with the people of Israel in the wilderness. Now if you don't think that's a strong enough case, I want you to turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 7. And I'm taking some time to to show you this because there's a reason. I'm getting somewhere with this guys because I want you to see What's happening here in Genesis 28 is very significant that we have for the very first time this word, the kahal, or the assembly. It's the church, and God is talking about the covenant people of Israel. Now in Acts chapter 7, if you remember the story of Stephen, who was considered to be the first martyr of the New Covenant church... He's he's standing up in front of the leadership there in Jerusalem. He's he's given this this very strong message against the leadership there. And he's he's basically retelling the account of God's people historically. And look at what it says in Acts chapter 37, verse. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7, verse 37. Listen to what Stephen says. Stephen says in Acts 7, verse 37, this is the Moses having said to the sons of. Israel, God will raise you up like prophet like me from among your brothers. Verse 38, this is the one having been in the church in the wilderness. Some of your translations may say congregation. Some of your translations may say assembly. The good old King James, guess how the King James renders it. This is the one having been in the church in the wilderness. Guess what word Stephen uses right here in Acts chapter 7? Ecclesia. Stephen is telling us that the church in the wilderness was Israel. So this is not a New Testament idea. He says this was the church, the congregation, the ecclesia in the wilderness with the angels speaking to him. It's Mount Sinai. So when God brought Israel, out of Egypt and led them there to the base of Mount Sinai to enter into covenant with them, a marriage covenant, what we're learning is that the Scriptures are talking about this group of people as the church. This today, what we call the church, is not a separate or a new idea. That's very, very important that we begin to understand that. The Bible does not draw this distinction. There's always been one covenant people of God one we're either a part of that church that ecclesia or we're not that's what God is talking about here in Genesis chapter 28 in other words Israel is the only church that Jesus ever knew when Jesus said I will build my ecclesia I'm going to build my what Church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he undoubtedly is thinking about the covenant people of Israel. I know some of you may say, I don't know about all that. But I'm telling you, this is exactly what the Scriptures tell us. And so what we see here is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he builds on this idea. And let's, let's, let's just go to Ephesians 2 real quick because I want you to see how Paul talks about this as well. Now remember, what are we talking about? The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to, come, are going to be, uh, become this, this company, this diverse multitude of people from every tribe, nation, and language. We're calling this the church. Paul knew about the church better than anybody, did he not? He talks about the church constantly. Look at what Paul says about this ecclesia. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, you were being called uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision, made in the hands and flesh, that you, remember he's writing to Gentiles, people living out in the nations. He says, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Paul is saying, Gentiles, you were outside of the church. He calls the church the commonwealth of Israel, this corporate body this collective group of people that God has come into covenant with. He says, We were once separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, not having hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you, the ones who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens of the saints and members of the of the household of God. What Paul is saying, remember, where do we first hear about the house of God? Genesis 28. Jacob has this dream. He sees the stairway to heaven. He sees the Lord standing at the top of the stairway. When he wakes up, he says, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. Jacob understands that there's something happening special here. And Paul is building on this message that we who once were far away have been brought now into this greater company of people, the commonwealth of Israel, also known as the church. Now let's find out how this one small selected people group, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how did it become a multitude of nations. We need to understand this. This is so very important to our understanding of the overall arc of redemptive redemptive history. Now, today, if we talk about just the Jewish people, they represent a very, very, very small population of the human race. There's about maybe 20 million Jews alive today. That's like one quarter of 1% of the entire population of the human race. Does that sound like a multitude of many nations a company of peoples to you? It doesn't. They're still just a very small, fractional people group, very isolated, very insulated. But, but God is telling Jacob here that your descendants are going to be like the dust of the what? And they're going to be spread out to the four what? Corners of the... And they're going to be members of every nation and tribe and language. So, who are we talking about here? How did this happen? So, here's the second thing I want you to see is that what happened is, guys, is that around uh, 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, and, he, and the Assyrian army and the Assyrian king took the house of Israel out of the land and they scattered the house of Israel where? To all the nations. It's like taking a bag of seed and taking that seed out of the land and taking it and just scattering that seed all over to the four corners of the earth. This was the event in history, very important event, after the kingdom of Israel was once united under one king. Remember, it split into two. The southern kingdom was Judah, the northern kingdom was what? Israel. You have the house of Israel in the north with 10 tribes. You have Judah in the south with two. Why am I telling you all this? Because, guys, this is very important to our understanding of redemptive history. And the house of Israel repeatedly and consistently and perpetually rebelled against God and worshiped other gods and lived in brazen idolatry. And finally, God said, Listen, you're no longer my people. I'm no longer your God. I'm no longer your husband. You're no longer my wife. We're done. And because of their rebellion, He took the northern house of Israel and He scattered them where? To the four corners of the earth. So this is your point. God scattered the lost sheep of the house of Israel to the four corners of the earth where they would be mixed in and absorbed by the Gentiles. Very important that we understand this, guys. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. You once were a people... Ten tribes, identified as Israelites. Descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of a sudden, you get taken out of your land. You get scattered as exiles to go live among all the different people groups of the world. And what did they begin to do? They began to intermarry with the Gentiles. Whereas after several generations, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, these ten tribes who were scattered to the the four corners of the earth, they were completely absorbed by the nations, and they lost their what? Identity. Do we really know who we are, by the way? We're a bunch of mixed breeds, aren't we? That's what happened. The Israelites, who were pretty consistent in understanding who they were, they could trace their history back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, they get scattered. They get mixed in with the nations. They start to intermarry and have children, and intermarry and have children. They're mingled in, absorbed, and they lost their identity forever. And God said, you're not coming back. Yet, Now, the house of Judah experienced a similar thing, but what was different about Judah? Judah went into Babylon for how long? Seventy years, but God brought them back. They did not lose their identity. Hence, who do we still have around today? The Jews, the house of Judah. Very important that we understand this. And so you've got this thing going on where Jacob is being told that your descendants are going to be spread out to the four corners of the earth. They're going to get absorbed by the nations. They're going to get basically lost. Their identity is going to be lost. And they're going to get mixed in with the Gentiles. I could give you so many passages of Scripture that talk about this. If you're interested in looking into this more, it's all over the Scriptures. Hosea 1 and 2, Ezekiel 37... Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah chapter 3. I mean, this is all over the place, guys. But what we need to see here is that when Jesus comes on the scene, He makes a fascinating statement. When Jesus comes on the scene, He says this in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 15, 24. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we read that and we say, well, of course he was. He was the king of the Jews. No, 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 no. That's not exactly what he's saying. What was Jesus saying? I came because God made a promise to the house of Israel, the ten tribes that were scattered and absorbed and lost their identity out there where? In the nations. I made a promise that one day I'm going to what? Bring them back. So that the house of Israel and the house of Judah are two, these two separated houses, they're going to be restored as what? As one again. And so, part, a big part of the mission of Jesus Christ was that he came so that he would go out and he was sent to reclaim and redeem the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to bring them back from the nations. That's why, as I said before, when Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all what? Nations. He's telling us we've got to go back out to the four corners of the earth, proclaim the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, these nations, because who got out there and was lost and absorbed into them? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where they are. And every Gentile that puts their faith in Messiah is brought back as a representative of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, this is exactly what God is telling Jacob right here. Now listen to what it says in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. He says, I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in as well and they will listen to my voice and then there will be one flock and one shepherd. What is Jesus talking about? I came to the Jews first, my people, but I have other what? Other sheep out there, where are they? They're in the nations. They're scattered, they're lost out here in the, in, the, in the four corners of the earth. He said, I didn't just come for this flock, I came for these other sheep also and I'm coming to redeem them and save them and bring them back into the fold so that there's one sheep fold, there's one flock, there's one shepherd. This is a beautiful picture. And so Jesus coming to do this effectively is doing something amazing that was predicted all the way back in Genesis chapter 28. Remember, go back and look at what it says in Genesis 28. The Lord tells Jacob this. Look at what he says. He says, Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you all, and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, when did that spreading out take place? When did this dispersion of God's people take place? It took place when the house of Israel was scattered and exiled to the four corners of the earth. Now let's talk about the stairway for a minute. See, my third point is that Jesus is the what? Jesus is the stairway. Think about the imagery here. He is the stairway to heaven. He is the narrow gate which leads to life and the restoration in the Father's house. Okay, what did Jacob see in his dream? I'll give you my best interpretation. I believe that Jacob saw a stairway much like you would see in an ancient ziggurat. Have y'all seen the ziggurats all over the planet? The pyramids that they built? What do you see typically in a ziggurat? What's leading up to the top? It's usually a massive stairway. You say, well, where do you get that idea? Well, I think that the Scripture gives us some indication when it says in Micah chapter 4, it says, In the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord, remember, this is the house of God, it will be established as the chief of mountains, raised above the hills, and the people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. You see, God's house is a mountain. It's a mountain. Eden, paradise, it's this, it's this mountain. In other words, these ziggurats that you see built all over the world, these were artificial mountains to, rep, to, to try to represent where the gods lived, where the gods dwell. And what were they trying to do? When they went up on the top of these artificial mountains, these ziggurats, these pyramids, they were trying to meet with who? With the gods. They were trying to open a doorway. They are trying to commune with the other side. That's why the the Tower of Babel, the word Babel, does anybody know what that means? The gate of the gods. That's what they were doing at the Tower of Babel. They're trying to open a gate, open a door, open a, a portal, if you will. So what is Jacob? I think Jacob is seeing the house of the Lord. He's seeing the mountain of God. He's seeing the place where God dwells. There's this stairwell. He's got angels coming up and down, ascending and descending. And who does he see standing at the very what? There's the Lord standing at the top of the stairway, right there at the door to the house of God. Now, Stephen... Remember we just read about Stephen who talked about the church in the wilderness? When Stephen was dying and getting stoned to death, he looked up and heaven was opened just the same way that it was here. And he sees who standing? Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. A very similar picture here that we see And so we see here that this stairway, guys, is symbolic, and the gate is symbolic of Jesus Christ Himself. See, this is the gate of heaven. Jacob said, this is awesome. This place is amazing. This is the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. This was Jesus Himself, I believe, this this, um, vision of the Lord standing at the top of the stairway to tell and remind Jacob that I am the way. I am the way to the Father's house. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John chapter 14. What does John chapter 14 say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going away to what? prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that you will be where I am also. Do you know the place to the way that I'm going? And Philip is like, Lord, how do we know where you're going? And Jesus says, I am the what? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father's house unless they go through me. Jesus is telling us that He's the bridge, he's the, he's the gateway, He's the door, He's the stairway, He is the only one that we are able to go through if we want to get to heaven, if we want to have eternal life, if we want to be brought back into the Father's house. And at the end of the day, guys, that's what all of us desperately want. We just want to be brought back home. We're looking for the day we get to come back to the Father's house. And Jesus is is having this conversation through a dream with Jacob. And so when you read John chapter 14, undoubtedly the disciples are thinking about Genesis 28 because Jesus is like, in my father's house. What did Jacob name the place? This is the house of God, Bethel. This is the father's house. And so we see that when you go back to what I started with Led Zeppelin... Let me read to you a lyric from Robert Plant in that song. You ready? He said, yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Now, that sounds so cool and philosophical. Doesn't that sound just so smart? But guys, that is a lie. Now, there are two paths that we can go by, right? We can take the narrow way or we can take the what? The Broadway. But where Robert Plant is deceiving you is that he's saying, in the long run, you can go live this Broadway, you can go uh, love the world, walk down this huge, broad, and easy path that's leading to destruction. But in the long run, you still have what? You still have time to change. Is that true? It is not true. Are any of you guaranteed tomorrow? That's why the Bible doesn't say in the long run you still have time. The Bible says today is the day of what? So if you're out there on the Broadway right now, if you're out there trying to chase the world and you haven't trusted in Jesus and you think I'll get, I'll get that settled later in my life. I want to sow my wild oats today. I want to live it up. I want to have a little fun. you know. But in the long run, I'm gonna, when I get older and I settle down, then I'll, I'll start living for the Lord. Guys, that is a lie from hell. Because there's no guarantee you walk out of here today that you're going to live another second. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And you have got to trust in me and do not wait. Don't take your what? Don't take your time and don't take your chances. Now the last point I'm going to share with you today as we wrap this thing up. He said, I want you to see the picture of how, remember, think about everything that we've talked about today. There's going to be this company of people. It's called the church. It's the assembly of God's covenant people. They come from the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they are a multitude of nations. And the reason that they became a multitude of nations is because the house of Israel was scattered to the four corners of the earth, lost to the four winds of heaven, and God said, I'm going to bring them back. And he's he's wanting to bring both of the houses of Israel and Judah back together as one again so that there's one flock, there's one church. So the last point is this, and I'm just going to spend a minute here. It says, when Christ returns, he will send out his angels to do what? To gather both the house of Judah and the house of Israel together and reunite them as one in God's house. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 8. Listen to what Jesus said. A centurion had come to Jesus to heal his son and he had so much faith and Jesus was marveled at the faith. Now a centurion was a Gentile. Remember he was not a Jew. He was of the nation. And it says, when Jesus heard his faith, he marveled and said, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west to share in the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking about Genesis chapter 28. Remember, you're going to be scattered to the east and the west and the north and the south, but God said, one day I'm going to bring you what? I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring I promise I'm going to bring you back. You got to live out here in exile for a long, long time. You're going to be mixed in with the nations, but one day I'm going to bring you back home. Now we see in in the gospels that Jesus said, "At that time they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 Moses is talking about this even long before he says listen to me Israel when I will call these things to mind in all the nations to which the Lord your God has banished you. And when you and your children return to the Lord and obey His voice with all of your heart and all of your soul and everything that I'm giving you today, then He will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you from all the nations to which the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the furthest horizon, He will gather you and return you from there. This has always been God's plan. And finally, in Isaiah 11, which I think says it even clearer than anywhere else, my last scripture of the day, listen to this. On that day, the root of Jesse, talking of Jesus, he will stand as a banner for the peoples as the nations will seek him and his place of rest will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people from Assyria and Egypt and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hanath and all of the islands of the sea. And he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel and he will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth." Now listen, then the jealousy of Ephraim, talking of Israel, will depart, and the adversaries of Judah will be cut off, and Ephraim, which is Israel, will no longer envy Judah, nor will Judah harass Ephraim any more. What is he saying? That in that day when Jesus returns and establishes His kingdom and gathers His people, that He's bringing both of these houses, what? Back together. So that we are one in the Father's house. Now, He started the process now. It It has begun. But it will not be ultimately complete until who returns? Until Christ returns. And that's why He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and you teach them everything that I have commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Why did Jesus tell us to keep the Great Commission alive until the very end of the age. Because we're part of this process of going out to the nations to bring people back into covenant relationship with Him. And He's given us this mission. He's given us this wonderful privilege to do that until the end of the age is when Jesus, what? When He comes back. When He returns. And He'll send out His angels. What did Jacob see descending and ascending on the stairway? The angels of God. He's going to send out his angels and he's going to gather us all together and there we will be one in his kingdom again and there we will be in the Father's house. God's children in the Father's house. So I'm going to ask our praise team to come up as we close this out and we're going to sing one more song and and really I I want to just encourage you today. Many of us today are troubled. Many of us today feel like we don't have a place, we feel like we don't have a home. Many of us today, are, we're getting beat up left and right by the, by the circumstances of the world, the struggles of life, the sufferings of this world. I want to remind you what Jesus told us in, Matthew, in, in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then He tells us why. Why should our hearts not be troubled? Because He has gone to prepare what? A place for you. You already have a room in God's house. Not only do you have a room at God's house, but you have a place at His table. Because remember, in the kingdom of Israel, only the king's sons and daughters could come and eat at the king's what? Table. Table. And so therefore you have a place in God's house and you have a room, uh, excuse me, you have a room in God's house and you have a place at God's table. What did Jesus tell us that on that day many will come from the east and west and they will sit down and recline at the what? table in the great banquet with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So guys, even though we're not there yet, Even though we're still having to wait on this wonderful day when we get to go home, we get to rest from all of our troubles. We get to pull up a chair at the table and eat with our God, with the King. Even though we're not there yet, we can hold on and stand on these promises that He is going to bring us back home. This world is not our home. God has promised to bring you home. You can rest in that. You can trust in that. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You that You have made a way, which is the one true way, the bridge between heaven and earth. You are the stairway to heaven, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would rest in knowing that You have made a way for us to have a place prepared in the house of God what a glorious day that will be. I'm thinking about that great hymn, Lord, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will do what? Sing and shout the victory. Lord, help us to stand on those promises. Help us to believe in what You have done, Lord, through Your Son, Jesus, that You will bring us all back together one day to be part of Your kingdom and to be uh, children in your house. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, and it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, guys, as we continue to worship this morning?
1: Drone up. Angel, I am the King of glory and of grace, one with Himself.
0: May you cause your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us, Lord. We just ask for your favor, God, your favor. And give us peace as we go in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit to all nations. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day. Hey, uh, real quick, I want to say thank you to everybody who participated with Help Group yesterday. We served well over 400 people. So let's uh, give God the glory for that. And um, check your bulletins. Lots going on in the life of the church. So check your bulletins. Remember, this Friday night we got a, a dinner right here at the church, and adult, pot, adult potluck. So y'all be sure to uh, check that out as well.